This is Who Makes a Podcast? Conversations with your favorite podcast hosts about who they are, the shows they make, and why they make them. I'm your host, Chris Cookley, and my guest today is Mark Linsenmeyer. Mark went to graduate school at the University of Texas at Austin in preparation for a professorship, but eventually opted for a job in the private sector. Nine years later, he reached out to some of his philosophy classmates to start the Partially Examined Life Philosophy Podcast, which has since been downloaded over 46 million times. In 2016, Mark leveraged his years as a songwriter to start Nakedly Examined Music, a song analysis podcast that has featured interviews with members of Genesis, Devo, Cracker, Wilco, The Attractions, and many other bands. In 2019, he created Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast to think deeply about the media we consume. And finally, in 2021, he created Philosophy vs. Improv, in order to explore philosophical issues in a more casual format while honing his improv comedy skills. I was excited to have Mark on to talk about his Pretty Much Pop podcast, which, as I say in the episode, reminds me a lot about a time in my life when some friends and I would just debate the undebatable in a casual and fun way. Things that you can't possibly be right about because no one actually knows. I get that same feeling from pretty much pop, and Mark was a joy to talk to about that. We also talk a lot about podcasting, and I know that regular listeners will be surprised at that. Topics include how Mark manages making four different podcasts, recording schedules for such long shows, how Mark grew his main podcast into a multi-million downloads show, and why it is so hard to replicate that success, even for someone who has done it, the challenges of booking a different guest for every episode, and working with an army of editors to get it all done. For the full show notes and links to everything we talk about in this episode, go to whomakesapodcast.com slash e26, and to find Mark go to partiallyexaminedlife.com. And now here is my conversation with Mark Linsenmeyer. Mark, welcome to Who Makes a Podcast. Thanks, Chris. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm very happy to have you on. I got to be honest, you just sent me that intro to read, and I had no idea that your, your podcasts have been downloaded 46 million times. That's astonishing to me. Congratulations. It is crazy. I'm sure a lot of those are auto downloads, but that's the number that we give. Wow. And I mean, it's only been what, 10 years since you started a podcast, 11 years, something like that. 13, 13. Yeah. I, I mean, that's uh, uh, astonishing. Has, if you looked at the, like the tail of the listens, has it primarily been in the last four or five years or has it been like a steady steady rise. Like I'm, I'm imagining like an exponential chart in my mind. Uh, no, we blew up. I can't remember how many years in a couple years in uh, when we were featured on the front of, uh, iTunes on, yeah, the whole podcast page we are featured there. And that really did some irreversible <laughs> benefit. Yeah. And we went pretty steadily up from there. A couple years ago, we decided that we would start charging 
for part two of every episode and we had some expected decline. Yep. It did work in terms of getting more uh, paid subscribers, but we've mostly recovered from that. And actually we've gone back to making part two public, but then we have a special part three that doesn't add an extra week to the schedule that's still behind the paywall. So we're still providing stuff for, for paywall people, but still having a weekly release. Uh, it actually also helped a lot when we, we used to record every three weeks and we now record every two weeks but we split it in half so we have a weekly release so just doing that by itself was a pretty big boon you know doubling the number of downloads yeah and now with all these other podcasts because they are not as big as the partially examined life i feed them temporarily into the partially examined life feed just to generate the number of downloads we need for advertising pull them out so that's an interesting I don't know. A couple of people have been annoyed, but most people seem okay with it. Yeah, uh, they they maybe understand why we're doing this. It makes it possible to record these other shows because it is not the sort of success we've had part, with partially examined life is not duplicable, right? I have tried with these three other shows. One of my co-hosts has his own, and none of those are anywhere near as big as the partially examined life. It, it seems that they are all. Uh, destined to be, for the most part, a subsection of the Partially Examined Life audience. Though, I guess you heard it about me through Pretty Much Pop, yeah. which we're uh, I'm able to put on openculture.com. I know the folks that run that. That has many millions of daily readers, so that has been a good help for that podcast in particular, You know, apart from the, the PEL audience. And of course, I'm trying to, with the, the music thing, grow among the music geek community. But that's, uh, I don't know, we could talk about these various challenges. Do you find that to be frustrating at all, that you have this mega hit podcast and you know, probably on some level, you're thinking that the audience would enjoy these other podcasts that you're making and they're just not following over to those other podcasts? I mean, yes. And part of that is the might be just the auto download thing that I referred to before yeah. that until iTunes fixes this, every single podcaster, their advertising would crash if we knew that the actual number of people listening to the show is much, much lower than, you know, people who have Apple Podcasts app installed have subscribed to a podcast. And so it keeps downloading whatever you put in the feed, you know, so I, I know anything that I put in the feed will get you know a good yeah. bump within the first couple days but then you know i think i think it only only auto downloads the the most recent three things mm -hmm. so if i let something get behind that then you know then we're looking at actual listeners i had heard of uh, an app recently and I, I couldn't remember if it's apple's app or another podcasting app that had started to if you haven't listened to the last five episodes that you've downloaded, it, it turns off that automatic download automatically. I think that might actually be pretty common. So, you know, I don't actually know. Yeah. Uh, you know, Apple tries to provide some metrics that you can go and see how many people are actually streaming it through their app. And I think those have to be wrong. Those are very low, you know, and they certainly aren't catching if somebody does auto download it and then listen to the downloaded version it doesn't know right anyway i don't i don't know all the technical details yeah. you might know from talking to different podcasts as much as i have but certainly i have put a lot of time into thinking and reading about this and talking with you know other podcasters on my um remember the the backbeat uh, ad network yeah um so we, we have it's a little bit of a brain trust that i we can trade uh secrets with some of the folks including 
the guy that runs it, an old uh, old bandmate of mine who runs the Mac Geek Gab podcast, which is like one of the first Mac podcasts, like quite a few years older than mine. So uh, having that sort of uh, rootedness has been very helpful. Do you find that most of your downloads then are coming from Apple? Are they Spotify or? I think so. I think that's still very clearly the case. Yeah. Apple was good enough recently to introduce a uh, a subscriber portal. So we were doing supporter content just through our website starting in 2013 maybe. I forget exactly what year and we were we started this sort of not school what I called uh, this not school education portal where we it basically a bunch of forums that you could say, "Hey, I want to uh, be like the partial exam in life and I want to have a discussion of uh, Derrida and uh, you know, then get some other listeners to join with you." And so that was a uh, mildly successful in a short term but you know the big draw was when one of us would actually initiate something then listeners would yeah you know, okay i want to join with you and read aeschylus or whatever right, it is right uh but if we weren't participating in it, it was hard to get it to be a self-sustaining thing so we then started using that more to pull a bunch of uh, old episodes behind the paywall once we had you know 200 or I, I forget how many of them out but you know just pulling maybe 30 behind and then uh you know sort of moved from there when patreon became a big thing we added that because some people are used used to that so that sort of duplicates what we call the citizen feed on our site and then then now apple in the last year has come up with its own portal when you release an episode to the public then you quickly go into their portal and say no no, no. when when people request this if they're paid subscribers um give them this file that's ad free and you know and, and or, or maybe much longer or whatever instead. Uh, so now, yes, it's a lot of work. We've updated in three different places. So, so every episode you have to go and say, tell Apple, use this feed instead. They can't just like look at a different RSS feed. You know, there might be a way that they're getting to that, but it, it certainly is not compatible with like, we can't tell them, go look at our Patreon feed or something wow. like that. No, it, it has to be housed on their site. So it actually uploads uh, the supporter versions in full. In fact, they, they encourage you for a while. You had to use a wave file. You couldn't use an MP3. Oh, wow. It shocks me a little bit, given that Apple is, you know, the giant gorilla in the podcast game, that uh, there seems to be so much discontent or um, disappointment in what they provide podcasters. It seems like they would have it figured out a little bit more, but I guess they're working on it. Well, yeah. I mean, it's never been a huge moneymaker for them. I guess right. it was one of those right. things that attracted people to buy an iPhone, to to get an iPod. Just an iTunes add-on. Yes, yes. And now that they're actually trying to make money off it, yes, we would really prefer if people subscribed directly through our site or through Patreon. But of course, our well, our site, PayPal, takes a, a slice. Even if you're paying with a credit card, you know, we do that through PayPal. Yeah. So somebody's taking a slice, but yes, not the 30% that Apple takes in the first right. year. I guess it lowers that to 15 or something eventually. But oh, so they're doing it with the developer rates, even. Like I know yep. that they do that for the the app developers. They take 30% up to some revenue amount or some time frame or something. So they're doing that with everything, even the mini school podcast subscription fees. Yes. Well, I guess wow. to make it worth their time. Yeah. And so, but you were asking, you know, why are they providing such poor service? Well, maybe now that they're making a substantial chunk of change, their service will improve. 
you know, of course, now that I've gone through the work of going through our entire back catalog of 300 plus episodes and, uh, you know, uploading the appropriate ad free versions of that and spending many hours, they might just add, you know, a, a more convenient way to do this because yeah. it is pretty goofy that I can't just schedule an ep- episode to post now. Yeah. I have to put it up and then I have to open their portal. I have to wait for, you know, the feed to update which could take a couple minutes. It could take an hour. And then I have to very quickly, because I guess some of the supporters could get the wrong version if they download it right away. (laughs) Yeah, if they're set to auto-download, you would think as soon as Apple pulls in your feed, they're distributing that out to their their list and people who have the auto-downloads on would just get the one that's there first. Well, I think that it will update. Okay. If you replace the file. Okay. You know, this has always been a little gimmicky. Yeah, Yeah. I'm sure... You've probably at some point uploaded an episode and there's something wrong with it and you got to get in there and fix the ad copy or fix the, I don't know, one of them recently, this was a preview episode, so it wasn't terrible, but it, you know, had a Libsyn that we host things now has uh, ad auto insertion. Yeah. So even things that I uploaded as ad free originally, now I can go with the back catalog. Like this has been a big thing for us that we really hoped for, for a long time is making some money off this giant back catalog apart from just pulling it behind a paywall and charging folks for it. But yes, one of these, uh, so for the, the part threes or whatever these previews that we put up, I had, uh, mistakenly, you know, so it it would start with the, it was just a 10 minute file. It would start with the auto ad, but I forgot to put the music, the intro music. (laughs) So in fact, the entire introduction to, to it as a preview, which is about I don't know, probably only 15 seconds long. Yeah. So it had 15 seconds of dead air <laughs> and then the preview of the episode and then, you know, the correct outro. So I discovered this like a week later. Oh no. And I'm like, okay, very quick. Nobody commented. We didn't, we didn't get a single person email me. Uh, but you know, there have been various things like that where you have to go and replace the file and things are much better than in the old days where people used iPods right. and they really would. Right you know, download it and sync up and they would just have the wrong version. Now, yeah. I think with the streaming period, even even with auto downloads, I'm not totally sure, but it seems like people will get the correct version if you replace it. Yeah, it would be interesting to figure that out. Maybe, I I, I don't know. I, I don't feel like doing it myself. Maybe somebody will, but uh, intentionally upload a wrong episode, download it to your phone and then replace it and see if it fixes itself automatically. You know, it, uh, it, it does, but you might have to like quit out of the app and start it or, yeah. or, uh, delete it from your, in, in Apple podcasts, from your auto downloads, you know, from, from the downloaded material and then yeah. add it back. I don't know. It's still a little mysterious to me. Yeah. All right. So you've been hosting at least one podcast for over a decade, which is a partially mm-hmm. examined life philosophy podcast. Do you remember what sparked your interest in podcasting to begin with? Like, why did you start making a podcast? I just was listening to some other podcasts. There's this one called Geeks On, uh, which was a very early podcast. And I, I, I was working a job, a, a, an office job in a cubicle. Yep. And I spent many hours listening to these four guys talk about like, Battlestar Galactica and and uh, <laughs> and they they had some sort of intellectual take on every single thing. It wasn't just a fan cast. Yep. So that that and a couple others uh, at the time, I'm like, you know, this would be something to try. And so I reached out to a bunch of people that I went to graduate school with, and the two that uh, said yes, Seth Paskin and Wes Alwyn, we just 
picked something that we were going to read. We were just going to use this as an excuse. I had not done any philosophy. I really kind of burned out on it in graduate school. You know, I rediscovered fiction. I rediscovered video games. I rediscovered other things one can do with one's time than just read philosophy all the time. During graduate school? Yeah, it, at post-graduate school. Okay, in the, okay. You know, while... Uh, having small children and yep. uh, and, a, and a day job that was, you know, as day jobs do, a, a bit soul crushing. Even though I, you know, <laughs> no. work for a, a, a good company, as these things uh, go. So yeah, it was just a. I, I had gotten back. I had done some teaching at a community college, so I'd kind of gotten the taste for philosophy again. I, I wanted to design my own thing. That you know, having people assign things to me. It kind of bugged me in graduate school that I had to do more than one thing at a time. I would really get into one thing, right. but then I have you know three other classes I have to deal with. Right. We always felt like in graduate school, I learned much more as a TA, having to teach stuff, than I did just as a student, you know, trying to write these papers and and get by. And uh, you know, I had gotten out of that because the job prospects in the world in the academic world did not look great. My wife wanted to move here to Madison, Wisconsin, where her family was. If I was doing academia, it's it's like being in the army, and you just like go. I'd be in North Dakota or something. I, you know, even if I if I could even get a job, which is not clear. So uh, you know, after settling down, uh, I decided that I, I needed to have philosophy back in my life, and I uh, really enjoyed talking with these folks. We didn't have any idea that it would really be appealing to other people but you know i picked these these guys with their theatricality in mind and yeah. i'm a a drama kid going back to high school i sort of put more of my bet my eggs in the uh musical performance basket but certainly enjoyed uh talking presenting i liked the teaching thing that i was doing so uh yeah just started this and just pick a text every three weeks or so, and we just really enjoyed it, enjoyed each other's company. So I started making money. I'm sure if we never made any money off it, then people would have quit long ago. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, the fact that, but, the, you know, the first couple of years were definitely all just on our own steam. And yeah. I guess that's what I would, that's still kind of the stage I am with the other three podcasts. Right, right. I am able to make some ad money off it again because of the pre existing podcast and now with the 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 auto downloads thing or so the the auto insertion those are even great for the new podcast and frankly even with partially examined life there are uh through our ad network there are there are weeks that we just don't get anything so like what does that mean is we're, we're only making money off the back you know off the paid stuff uh well now Again, anything that we put in there, it's not as much as you would get for a host red ad, but it is it is something. And these are, you know, of course, very low cost to actually produce. Right. So the podcast that I've listened to primarily from you is the pretty much pop podcast. Is mm -hmm. the partially examined life a similar format? Like pretty much pop, it seems like there's always at least three or four of you. The the cast kind of switches. Every episode, you're bringing on new people that have some experience in the topic that you're talking about, but then you're you're kind of picking a topic and you're diving in and you're having some not like overly high level discussions, but, you know, mm -hmm. intelligent discussions and, and conversations about whatever that topic is. Like one of the episodes recently was Halloween, was the, the Halloween series and then... Mm -hmm. the movies. And then I'm, I'm listening to one now about music genres and and frankly, how people can be stuck up on their music genres. You guys are kind of dissecting and talking through that. 
are all of the podcasts in that same sort of similar vein? No, I mean, they're really all no. quite different. So the Partially Examined Life is a reading group. Like we pick a text okay. and we teach it as a group. And it's there was a core of three of us, then we added a fourth. And we have guests every second or third episode, uh, you know, either in place of one of us or more likely just five of us. And we record for a solid two hours. And now that we're doing these part threes, we come back on another day and we record for up to another hour. Wow. Um, we also introduced another supporter thing called the the night, the partially examined life nightcap, which was, we used to at the beginning of our episodes, just kind of, Hey, what's going on in your life? What are you, what are you thinking about these days? What are you reading? And people complained about that. Like, no, no, no you advertise. This is going to be talking about Wittgenstein. Get to the <laughs> Wittgenstein right now. <laughs> I don't want to hear about your life. Yeah, we became more businesslike. So we then introduced, but the you know the, the fans they like when we talk about random other stuff, right? And they want to hear about who you are and what you're doing. Yes, this this nightcap product as a place to shove that, and we'll read listener emails and things like that. So you know we're doing three hours over two weeks in some form or other, you know, in some combination for partially examined life. We covered a couple of pop culture topics, like let's uh, watch Blade Runner and read the original book on which it was based by Philip K. Dick. Yep. And that was fun. And so we, we, I was talking with uh, one of the other guys about doing a pop culture podcast. It turned out when I actually pitched it, none of them wanted to do it with me. Really? So I found other people. I found uh, Brian Hurt, my, my best friend going back to middle school. And then uh, Erica Spires, my original co-host, was is a Broadway, an actress on Broadway. You know, she's very, very talented, kind of a big deal. And she had been a guest uh, on one of the Partially Examined Life things. We try various things on Partially Examined Life every year or two. Like, we'll read a play and we'll talk about it. So, you know, treat, that, treat it like a text. But, uh, you know, increasingly, originally it was just like me and some listeners. Are you performing this me, play? Me and the co-host. Yes, we're performing. So we nice. did this year, we did Shakespeare's Time in of Athens okay. with four, four different actors that had like, have done stuff on TV. Uh, so anyway, Erica is one of the people I connected through one of those past performances. Uh, so yes, it was originally me and two consistent co-hosts and we would maybe have a guest. Every other episode, we would have a guest. They decided after two years of, of a weekly release that they were kind of burned out on it. So for season two, I decided I'm going to just build a panel from scratch every single time. And that allowed me to, to investigate some areas that, you know, the, the my co-hosts wouldn't necessarily be into. Of, right. of course, I'm very into music. I have been running this music podcast since 2016, so I can bring on previous guests from that and talk about like this one you listen to. You know, we could talk about cover songs or, you know, whereas the music podcast itself is like, here are three of your songs. We're going to play them in full and then we're going to talk about them. People are probably familiar with Song Exploder. Oh, yeah. Yep. Mine is not a ripoff of that. You know, it was making this before I knew anything about Song Exploder, but it has a similar, you know, it's, it's just an interview. And instead of taking one song and talking about for 15 minutes, I take an hour with each of the artists and we go through at least three of their songs, uh, which, which I hope, you know, that they will sort of do the homework and re-listen to <laughs> so we can talk in detail about the production and the, the creative choices. Anyway, so that is sort of, that's actually a little more like partially examined life in that I'm treat, treating the songs like a text for that. But for pretty much pop, 
we're a little more open. You know, some of the episodes are very general. We started off with just considering high culture versus low culture. Does, is that even a thing anymore? I, I use it as a catch-all. You know, one of the episodes that's coming out is uh, we, we had done some indigenous First Nations philosophy, American Indian philosophy on partially examined life. Uh, and that got some mixed reviews yeah. uh, in terms of, you know, the treatment, just wading into a politically sensitive subject like that. You know, we were as, as sensitive as we could be, but uh, I, I felt like there was more to be done. So yeah. one of the yeah. episodes earlier on uh, Pretty Much Pop, we had gotten an, an actor, one of Erica's friends who had been Jonathan Joss, who had, you know, played the the the, the Native American on King of the Hill and Parks and Rec and thing, you know, so look, we could bring on celebrities, which is hard to do in partially examined life. It's hard to make a celebrity read a whole philosophical text. Sure. (laughs) So that was kind of what, you know, what I invented pretty much pop four is to like have a little looser discussions. So now we're in season three, the, the season two was, uh, which was a year long of every other week was kind of, you know, the, all these panelists, not necessarily auditioning, but certainly I had in mind, which one of these people do I, uh, do I want to invite back? for a number of things. So now we've kind of settled with season three on a steady cast, but I still only bring them on every other episode. And so it's a, it's a very nice diverse cast, but then I still leave myself open to do the season two thing like that music one you heard. Yep. And just like maybe one of those people, but maybe a completely different group uh, is going to be this. And that just lets us talk about whatever they do. So yes, to finish the thought, one of these was on what's sort of the, the cultural status of, a post-genocidal living in a, in a world, uh, you know, where there are reservations and just the indigenous experience and how this relates to the wealth of, uh, stuff on TV that's coming out just in the last couple of years, for some reason, the movie prey, this reservation dogs. So something that's sort of still related to the media, but is sort of political, you know, you're going to get something different. I think every episode on pretty much pop, we're hopefully not just talking about what's the HBO show, right now what is the big movie that came out i like to make it more than about just a movie yeah even if we cover you know nope it's going to be jordan peele movies in general and like what this kind of thing means to the horror genre as opposed to just let's review this movie which is you know there's there's plenty of podcasts already doing that kind of stuff out there right yeah i i love the format of the pretty much pop podcast it it reminds me a lot of when i was in college, a couple of friends of mine, we would always kind of go to Wendy's probably once a week, maybe Sunday evenings for dinner or something. Cause I think the dining rooms, the dining courts were closed for dinner on Sundays. And I mean, it, we were just like dumb kids, but we were constantly having discussions like, does the universe have a, a bound to it? Or is it just like infinitely expanding forever and ever? And can you get to the end of it? Can you get to the other side of it? If it has a wall at the end of it, it it's just, things that like we can't answer, but mm-hmm. um, it was just a ton of fun to like argue with them back and forth one way or the other. And it, it the pretty much pop podcast reminds me of that in a lot of ways, because you are just dissecting some thought or idea and, and everybody's got a different opinion, or maybe you have the same opinion, but somebody's explaining it in a different way. It's, it's just fun to listen to. Yeah. The logistics of that is I create a, a shared Google doc And, you know, sometimes if we have a celebrity guest or something, they're not going to look at that. They're just going to expect to be interviewed or something. But we're sort of doing that less, less and less. Try to introduce only one new voice per episode just to make it less crazy for me. (laughs) Like uh, it's, it's introducing a new element. 
it could go very badly. It could create problems for the editor. You know, I've never had an episode that I've just said, this is unusable. We need, we need to just pull this. Yeah. Um, but there have definitely been ones that have been edited more than others and take more work to get uh, presentable. As far as the the cast goes, like, I you know you have your set co-hosts now. You're trying to add somebody new, maybe one person every other week or something. How are you finding the people that have not already been on the show? Are you just reaching out to, like, what, what's the process for finding somebody new to bring on? Right. So that's been very difficult that it was, especially when we were trying to get more celebrities. I mean, part of the thing is that we've gotten on some lists that artist representatives connect to us. So okay. for partially examined life, and and now some of them are sending to my philosophy versus improv email or, you know, but these people, we just constantly get, oh, this guy wrote a book about self-empowerment. Do you want to have him on partially examined life? Like, do you even know what our podcast is? You clearly don't. Yeah. But some of these, you know, so the fellow that wrote the Bill and Ted movies had written a book on Buddhism. And I'm like, well, this is not something we're going to read for Partially Examined Life. We kind of stick in Partially Examined Life to canonical texts. We only have an author guest on once, twice a year, maximum. And it's got to be somebody pretty famous in the philosophy world, which, you know, is a different kind of famous <laughs> than, than in, the, in the real world. Uh, but yeah, for pretty much pop, if we're trying to find a celebrity, you know, so occasionally we've had things pitched to us. Justine Bateman wrote a book on aging and we're like, oh, we would love that. We would love to cover, have Justine Bateman on. And I think once they finally looked into us, like, you know, Justine Bateman was being covered in Time Magazine and stuff right. for this. You know, So no, they, somebody decided eh, that we were not. too small potatoes uh, for, for Justine Bateman. But I don't know if she hadn't hit it really big at that moment. We still hold out hope. And certainly in the music podcast, I'm just gradually growing. I've had, you know, three members of REM, but none of the ones you've heard of, none of the four core. <laughs> it's like people who toured with them and who are, you know, have wonderful bands of their own anyway. So it, it, it's associates, it's friends of friends right. often. If there is something, you know, so, so with pretty much pop again, maybe we'll get a book pitch. That's actually how I met Sarah Lynn Brooke, one of our new consistent co-hosts. She's a former actress, used to live in Hollywood, had written a novel about soap operas. And so I'm like, well, I don't want to talk about her novel on Partially Examined Life. That makes no sense. But I was able to connect with her directly and uh, say, hey, you know, we've never covered soap operas as a way of kicking off this uh, season three, I guess, or season two, I should say. Let me just do this thing that's way outside my comfort zone. Because part of Pretty Much Pop is like, Yes, cover the, the the fan geeky stuff that I'm actually into, but it's also like forcing myself to like watch a bunch of reality competition arts shows. Like, okay, that's kind of interesting, but nothing that I've spent time with before, just based on who's on the show with me. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Sarah Lynn did a great job on that. I invited her back for a couple more over the following year, and you know, a year later, now she's you know kind of signed on to do whatever we want to do. And how are you handling like the recording? aspect of your guests making sure that they have a, a decent technical setup going or, or i assume that you're thinking about that right so with partially examined life we decided right away everybody's going to record themselves locally yep we cannot just do a a recording of the whole call we need to have each voice isolated to be able to 
especially with partial exam life, like people are typing, they're uh, making little noises, they're interrupting each other. Like we yeah. do that a lot. A lot of crosstalk. Yes, yes. So we we disambiguate that in the mixing phase. So I really wanted to do that with the other shows. And when I started the music show, I started requiring that, but that that really limited what guests I would have. You know, we're my average guest is probably 60 years old at least for that show. I like to people get people that have a good chunk of albums behind them, you know, yep. a meaty catalog, not just somebody who's, you know, if, if it's going to be somebody who's only done a few albums, it has to be like in a genre I've never covered before or something like that, or just an under, underrepresented community. I've had so many white guys in the show. I need to, you know, <laughs> I need to have, Oh, a female country singer. She only has four albums. That's okay. Yeah. But in any case, I still ask them if they can record themselves, but anybody who is older than I am older, I'm, I'm, just above 50 almost never can do that so i just i record a backup on my end of everybody who's not me plus a cloud backup through zoom of the whole thing i haven't figured out a better way of doing it but but like a uh an actual cord going out of one of my outputs in my sound thing and into another input so right now Okay. I'm talking to you. I'm recording on the left channel yep. and your voice is being recorded on the right channel. And so yep. that's just what I use for the music guests with pretty much pop. Now we have three or four people again. So I really want to have people record on their own. Sometimes they just can't do it or something goes wrong. Well, we have two different backup tracks that our editor can use, which we should talk about that, that I, I, I would not be able to do four shows if I did not have technical support at this point. Yes, definitely want to ask you about that. I do think that Zoom can record separate tracks. I don't know if you've found that or turned that on or if it would help you at all. I've briefly tried that. You know, it would still be recording the remote version. Right. Sometimes when I'm talking to these musicians, like their Zoom will start acting up. And so we just have to kind of deal with that. We have to just remove things. There might be digital clicking or whatever that introduces. So I imagine that Zooms, and and there are other solutions, Zencaster, some people use, that record each person's voice individually. You know, once you get in a a way of doing things, it's very hard to (laughs) want to shift that. Right. What about like microphones? Are you are you asking them to have a specific microphone? Are you sending them a microphone? I know some people will if if the the guest is big enough or or whatever they care enough about it that they'll actually ship them out a microphone to make sure it sounds good. You know, I kind of learned on the you know the very first music episode I did with D- David Lowry from Cracker and Camper Van Beethoven, and he's just like, you know, I'm gonna sit here in front of my iPad and talk to you. Yeah. If that's not okay with you, I don't want to do it. Kind of that was the <laughs> attitude. Like, Fair all enough. right, well. That's, I think that people's perception of sound quality is if the host sounds really clear, you know, people are used to hearing radio call-in shows. Right. Those sound like, those sound terrible. In fact, Zoom is not able to do this that I know of, but like I will use Skype or or, uh, Google Hangouts before to call somebody's phone line. So I'll have, you know, especially if it's again, like a 70 year old guy. Now, thanks to the pandemic, most people are used to Zoom, right? but still not everybody. So you're, you're actually having some people on over the phone. Yes. Yeah. So they could either call into zoom that, you know, and type in a 10 digit code or whatever to get the appropriate thing, or they will just say, call me on my cell phone. And so I will have to use Skype and, you know, you pay Skype a little money and maybe it's an international call and have it call them up. And it's a very nerve wracking thing. Like, I don't know if this is going to work, but sometimes like I was on one guy with, uh, in the UK with Skype 
And he just kept lagging. He had pretty bad. So I was just like, I'm going to call your phone. And yes, phone audio sounds worse, of course, in some ways, but it is not going to have those glitches. It's not going to freeze up and (laughs) frustrate the hell out of everybody. Probably no bandwidth issues over the phone. Certainly not. All right. So the editing, you mentioned that you have somebody, it sounds like somebody is doing the editing for you. Are they doing it on all of your episodes or all of your podcasts? Same person or different people? Yes, pretty much. Uh, you know, if sometimes if I just do supporter content or something and maybe it's just me talking to one other person, I'll still edit that myself because I don't really care about how well, you know, it's a pretty fast thing. But yes, so this was a gradual process. First, it was just me doing the first couple episodes and then I made my co-host do it with me. So I would, I would get the three files for the three of us and I would mix them together and I would use that opportunity to, you know, remove when we're interrupting each other or somebody's coughing or whatever. But all the ums and ahs and other things that make it just intolerable to listen to people thinking out loud. Yeah. You know, this is way more a problem with partial exam in life than any of their podcasts. We're like, you know, paging through these books where we just don't know how to say anything. I've really tried to coach over the years. My co-hosts, like, it was kind of nice when they had to record, when they had to edit themselves because they're like, oh, I can't believe that, you know, <laughs> I stutter this much that it took me three tries to say this thing. Um, but once they got off the hook for that, <laughs> then they stop trying to improve right, whatsoever. Right. And in fact, finding it insulting and infuriating if ever I try to bring up like, let's try to tighten things. Like it just doesn't work. I don't yeah. know. It's something you have to be devoted to. I'm never going to say, you know, again, <laughs> and we still have people. I've mostly driven this out of people, but you know, people, two people start to talk at the same time. Oh no, no you go, you go. Well, I was going to say, and then they say the thing. Don't say I was going to say, like, that's never going to make the edit. Right. (laughs) It is merely a thing of politeness. Just get over it. Anyway, I eventually used uh, volunteer editors. So I would still, rather than sending chunks to my co-hosts, I got some folks, you know, I think I had up to maybe 10 people sometimes that I would send this person 20 minutes and this person 10 minutes and this person 30 minutes. And I kind of estimate to them, look, I've already done the mix, but it's going to take you, you know, three times as long, maybe five times as long as the length of the thing. And I have to kind of coach them every time. Like, okay, well you did okay here, but there's still a lot of ums. Here's some examples. You know, I put in this shared folder. Here's the kind of thing that we're getting rid of, you know, that, that it's okay. You don't have to wait for a full stop. If there's a stuttery thing, here's how to, you know, use a very sharp fade in or fade out so that you can, you know, just cut something off that really there's no space to do that. Uh, Of course, you know, if somebody's like saying (laughs) things like you could just make the uh, shorter, that's okay. It's that there's not a break there. Eventually one of the guys who was doing it was, uh, he was like, I want, well, first I started paying most of them, you know, so I'd pay them like a, a minute per we were making enough from the the back catalog and things from our for our supporters that I I could afford and from commercials that I could afford to you know so a minute for a raw you know here's twenty minutes of footage I'll pay you twenty bucks to do your pass through it and you know I would still do my own pass after everybody was done but you know there's a lot of inconsistency with eight different editors or however yeah. many and yeah. sometimes somebody would flake out and I have to give the file to somebody else at the last minute or do it myself and. So eventually, as uh, fellow Tyler Hislop, uh, he took over the mixing from me. He's recorded like a dozen rap albums. He's, okay. he's done a lot of recording on his own. And 
was very into philosophy and was a big fan. And so he was uh, excited to first take the mixing. And then eventually he was like, just let me do the whole thing. So I was giving him bigger and bigger pieces. And finally I said, you know, it's nice to have this pool of people who I can depend on. I'm going to put all my eggs in one basket and we'll pay him, you know, a decent wage. And uh, so, yeah, as we added more shows, we just gave more work to him. And so it's been up and down in terms of like, does he have a full-time job other than what we're doing at the time? And now I connected with him, uh, him to another philosophy podcast, the pan Psychast, who we'd been friendly with and, uh, you know, giving him more, more or less enough stuff to, to have a full-time gig. Wow. Mostly stuff, you know, that he's doing for me. And I guess is, you know, like me, his wife has a <laughs> better <laughs> paying gig than he does or whatever. <laughs> so we can get away with these things. It helps. Yeah. I'm so curious how you were handling the volunteers editing stuff. So were you, were you just putting wave files into a shared folder? Were you sending them project files? Like, did you make sure that everybody had the same DAW that they were using? How it was not project files. It was, again, I would do the mix entirely myself. So I yeah. would use the DAW and they would all be in Audacity or some of them okay. used a, something else that they were familiar with. So you would have to like, teach them how to use these DAWs too, or do they already have familiarity? Well, with I it? would, I would, I would, for the most part, put out a call, like who's interested, you know, who's done this before. Yeah. So while a couple people, I'm sure this is their first audio editing. Most people had some sort of, they were musicians or had otherwise done something along these lines. And I would just give them like a very small file, like give them seven minutes. And if they just, if they didn't do a good job, I wouldn't ask them again. Yeah. I, Wow. <laughs> but it still took it, it took some definite massaging over time like okay yeah. i know this guy always is gonna i'm gonna have to spend twice as much going through his file as somebody else's file and so i would just you know prioritize i would just put out an email to this group okay here's the dates i would need the the files by next week and then you know i'll have the files ready in two days i would need them by next week and then I would, you know, put a few days of grace period in there so that I would have time, certainly, you know, to put them all together and do my own pass, try to give myself plenty of time. Anyway, it was a, it was a production. I didn't, I didn't enjoy managing that, no. though I did like, you know, it was nice to have this group of friends, fans of the show that were intently <laughs> listening. Right, I know one right. guy who never accepted money. He was like, no, this is my volunteer stuff. He eventually said he was frustrated that nobody ever got better <laughs> that the, the same things just the thing i was complaining about the same yeah. problems that each person would have just would remain problems and he just got after a year of of editing this stuff just sick of it so yeah. that's the problem with volunteers is they you know they want they do what they do out of passion and uh you can expect those passions to wane as i know from from running rock bands for many many years right. and like yes people are going to quit eventually I hear that in myself when I'm editing my own files for this podcast. Like there are things that I do that I, I know that I do and I just haven't figured out how to stop that automatic reaction or, or way of speaking, I guess. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that actually saved you time in the long run trying to manage all of that? Yes, because it was just merely torture for me to do it on okay. my own. And still now, like occasionally if my editor doesn't come through or, or I just... When I do these these plays that I mentioned, you know, we had a cast of twelve people or something. Yeah, I mean that that would be miserable. So I what, but <laughs> I went through each person's file before putting it in the DAW and just like took out all the places because I want there to be giggling. 
Like just because they make a little noise, I don't want to apply a noise gate and get rid of everything yeah. that looks extraneous. I want to look at it, you know, and okay, this little thing, oh, that's because they shut a door. That's because they coughed. And I can easily mute, 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 mute. So I went through each of the 12 files and I muted the places. You know, it's much easier in a play than something else. But still, right. for the giggling, <laughs> I wanted in this performance of a play, I wanted this feeling of a, of a table read. And yes, and of course, I was then processing each person's file which, oh, you asked about the mics. Yeah, you know, when possible, I try to get people to use as good a mic as they can. It just doesn't always work. So the, you know, luckily I have some nice noise reduction plugins. So even if they're in a very noisy place, we can usually address that. But it was very funny with this play with 12 people that it's like each person's file who is not one of the regulars had something weird about it. Of course. <laughs> this one sounds like he's from outer space. You know, that he's talking <laughs> over... A CB radio. This one is, uh, you know, I have to apply the noise reduction five times to get rid of all the wow. damn background hiss. Yeah. Uh, oh, this guy is peaking throughout. So I have to apply my, you know, anti-peak uh, distortion plug-in just to those places where he's peaking. Yeah. So it was very time consuming. If I had to do that all the time, I, I would go crazy. But uh, it, it raises stress among the group if I pay myself to do stuff. And so of course, I do get paid a separate thing for like this handling the editing, even though somebody else is doing it and he's getting paid, yeah. but I still have to do the pass. I have to do the posting. Yeah. And like, that's a really important part of the process. So of course they're willing to like get that off their plate and pay me something. Right. But if I actually did the whole thing, I feel like the differential would, uh, you know, as well as me not enjoying it might be a source of resentment. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. That. And I, I honestly, I forgot when uh, when I asked that question about whether it was worth it or not. I forgot that you have three, four, you know, tracks at least to edit. I'm just doing. Usually, it's just me and a guest, and it's not too bad. You know, I just I do it myself. When there's occasionally, I've had a couple episodes where I've had me and then two guests, and that is that's just a nightmare. Just adding three people is terrible. Well, hopefully, I mean, like if you use the Zoom file, which you know is is a backup. Yeah. It, you know, it builds in compression. It builds in some sort of noise reduction. So probably it's going to be okay. It's just not great fidelity in the first place. Right. But but even that, like if if I'm talking through this nice mic into a Zoom thing, it's probably going to record okay. Right. So this nice mic that you referred to, what are you what are you using? What is your technical setup that you've got going on for your podcast as far as microphones, uh, any outboard gear, software? What are you running with? So the, the big thing, of course, is the audio interface that a lot of people will just get a snowball mic or, you know, some sort of USB mic. And uh, so my co-host started with something like that, and they ended up upgrading to, no, you got to get uh, some sort of outboard. So I'm, I have a PreSonus audio box with more inputs than I need for podcasting because yeah. I also wanted to do it for music recording. I wanted to be able to plug drums into it. So, yep. uh, but for the most part, you know, you only need one or two inputs and those can be like a hundred bucks or whatever for a decent, for a reasonably okay one. This one was probably not more than 400, even with all those preamps and inputs. Uh, and then I was already used to using uh SoundForge is what I am using right now. It's just, a. Uh, it's strictly a two-track thing. It's not a, a DAW, but I just use that to record myself. And then again, you are on on the right speaker right now. So I record a stereo file. You can record more than you know three three tracks at a time, but it's not really made for that. Yeah. Um. I have Cubase when I want to do 
you know, I need an actual DAW, you know, for my music or for this play or something like that, that lets you take each track and do fun things with it. But, but even with, uh, that, like I'll still open them individually in SoundForge and do all the, uh, taking out the coughing or the whatever, you know, insofar as I want to do that before it gets in the, in the DAW, which often, you know, I'll just do that in the DAW. It's easy to do that in Cubase. Yeah. For microphone, I, for a long time had a AKG 3000. It's just what I had for music from the nineties. And I just upgraded to this, uh, sure. Is it the SM7B or is it the yes, yes. <laughs> yes. So that was what was recommended to it as an upgrade that ironically is t- technology from what 19 from the seven late seventies, I think is what it was developed through the early eighties. Like it's yeah. what Michael Jackson recorded right. thriller. thriller I'm told. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So I'm doing that through a, you have to do that through like a cloud lifter, uh, you know, some kind of preamp so that it can use the, the phantom power from my presonus. I've been thinking about whether I should actually invest in a really good preamp, which all musicians say, Oh, you got to do that. You got to spend like $2,000 on a preamp if you want your recordings to sound good. It's just, I don't record enough music now to warrant necessarily. And for podcasts, it's probably overkill. Yeah. I think maybe for music, that could be a worthwhile thing, possibly. But yeah, I wouldn't do it for podcasting. I've just never been that. Like, I don't have my basement here soundproofed or any you know i don't put cones on the walls really i've just never been that careful about even when i'm recording music i'm just not an engineer <laughs> let's right. put it that way I, I can figure out how to use the software and and do the editing and and not feel like an old man although that's that's gotten worse as time has gone on now that i'm you know i've off offloaded the editing to somebody else more and more new kinds of software where like i've wanted to i thought about doing video for a while for one of these things and I've done some video editing, you know, just on the the built-in Mac software on yep. a different on my upstairs computer. But uh, I feel like I want someone who actually knows what they're doing. I'm not I'm not young and uh, inquisitive enough <laughs> at this point to really figure out a new pair of piece of software. I mean, I learning new software can be can be terrible. As far as the music goes, and you know the preamp and the two thousand dollar not treating your basement, whatever. I I did listen to some of your music. The dry folk album and yeah i think that was recorded in your basement and it sounded fine to me so it was recorded in the basement we took it to professional studio to mix it okay you know part of it is is that he applies the auto tuning and he does it he doesn't do it blanket the guy that i do these things with he will will like listen to every single phrase and he'll fix it but for an acoustic album in particular i feel like i can hear a little too much of the auto tuning and i wish i just (laughs) said stop i'm gonna re-sing it right now <laughs> but there's always something wrong you know with with every album that i've done that i feel like ah oh, i would do that differently if i went back to it but yeah with some reasonably good mics and uh some time and care you know you can like the amount of processing that he would do just on drums uh is crazy like you could right. say i don't even care what kick you used i'm gonna have it trigger this other kick sound right whenever your kick hits like okay you you know so he's using a, a, a very expensive sample instead of the the kick drum mic that i paid 200 dollars for whatever right do what you gotta do yeah so for for pretty much pop when you are you're making these episodes they're all about pop culture do you feel like you need to be in a somewhat constant and intentional state of consumption of pop culture to con- 
continue making that podcast? You know, some of the episodes we design just so you kind of come with the past experience that you've had. And some, you know, we did a Martin Scorsese episode and I felt the need to watch like every Martin Scorsese movie. We did this Halloween one that you just listened to and I binged, you know, so if I didn't have a lifestyle that was conducive for that, I, I would not do it. But I try not to make that every episode. And certainly when we were recording weekly, oh, it's exhausting. Just just even coming up with the ideas, let alone, it would be more like, well, what are you already watching now? Right. Let's let's do one on Cobra Kai, which did not deserve <laughs> an episode, but it just happened to be something that all of us were watching. So like, okay, we'll 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 do a Karate Kid one. That's fine. Did you have a Tiger King episode? We did not. And the uh, I was the holdout. I had not watched that. Oh. And I didn't care about that. And at least we talked about sort of a, a, a pandemic consumption episode. Yeah. Like what what are what are that that would be a way that we could have Tiger King on the table, but not necessarily require everybody to watch it. Yeah, it was so trashy. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna ask you if it ever feels exhausting trying to pay attention enough to make a, a pop podcast. I feel like I absorb some of that stuff just vicariously through living, but if I I don't know if I could like try and focus on it often enough. Right. I'm just looking through. So like we did one on breaking bad because better call Saul was ending. And that's something that I've put in, you know, a decade of work on. So I didn't have to do a lot of extra. I just had to like, okay, watch the last season. There you go. That's not too hard. Predator. I had seen most of the films at some point or other. One of the other guys on it had never seen any of the films. So like he had to, he watched five or six films to prepare for this one hour of discussion and it definitely, you know, we did a Star Trek one. I'm like, I've never really watched the original series. Like yeah. I watched some of it sort of as a kid, as a, but I'm going to try to watch as much of it as I can. So how many hours went into this freaking <laughs> Star Trek episode? Yeah, I would be, a, I feel like I would be a terrible guest on that podcast because of those three things that you've mentioned, I've, I've seen none of them. Well, and so, it, yeah, so. <laughs> I'm sure there's something if I talk to you, in oh, fact, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to offer you right now that you should be a guest sometime on sure. this podcast. And I bet we would uncover something that like you're the super fan about or whatever that, you know, as long as, uh, uh I could so talk to you about often, Yeah, You were asking about how, how I find guests that often it is just like, this is an interesting person that uh, is a friend of a friend yeah. or that I know from his appearance on this other podcast that I listen to or whatever. And if I can, like sometimes I'll have a scoping call. Uh, so I just like, what are you into? And so this yep. is the kind of supporter only stuff that I was talking about that I actually do the, the what little editing is done myself. So when I'm going into season two, I had like five different scoping calls. And I, this guy had, he wanted to talk about dueling. Like fencing? Yeah, like he had written a book on on the philosophy of dueling. So okay. he, like, we're not going to do this for partial exam in life. But we waited until something happened and the, the, the film, the last duel came out. So like, all right, well, let's do a, an episode on dueling as a pop culture thing and just watch a few other movies about dueling, talk about dueling in, in video games, in, in the old West movies, you know, sort of looking at 10 steps and fire more broadly is just like, yeah, a one-on-one To the finish that's at the end of many many movies was there a, a hamilton reference in that yes of course that's that big at the end of hamilton yes hamilton and bridgerton had also just come out with a dueling thing being prominent in it something that annoys me is a good 
is a good topic for. Uh, so one of these that we just released. What are creatives? That's yeah, the current episode. Yep. So that was uh, a past guest from the music podcast. He had put out another thing. His uh, agent was like, "You should have him on the music podcast again." Like, well, I don't have people as return guests, but I, I like this guy. And so I engaged him with him over Facebook. I'm like, what do you want to talk about? Like, what is this term creatives? I hate this term. <laughs> so like, all right, I guess that's the episode. Let me find some other people. Let, let me interpret that as a way in the way that makes sense to me. So I, I for pretty much pop episodes, I, as, as I started saying, I create a shared Google doc and I encourage the other people to add stuff to it. So we might have articles on it. So we have like some, you know, these are all optional. They don't have to be on the table, but like maybe, you know, if we're, we're doing the Halloween movies, then I find some articles just sort of rating them in terms of quality or, or just, you know, somebody, if I can find anybody writing philosophically about these things, you know, that with Halloween, it's like, well, what is it about the shape about that, that, that villain in particular? Why is that? scary like what what is this is it better than when movies fill in his backstory or does that ruin it because it's supposed to be mysterious yeah yeah so asking sort of more fundamental questions about aesthetics and about storytelling and about what actually makes something compelling uh and i know it was my idea to uh you know since we'd bring in these articles to reach out to the authors of the articles and so i did that with a few of them but I have not had as many journalists in general as I would like. I think they're more, they're harder to get, reach often. They're uh, maybe more hesitant about, you know, they're, they're professional. They're, yeah. they're being paid for this. So, you know, I want to do one on the first person shooter video games. So I found somebody who wrote an article. I reached out to him and he's just like, what is this? I don't know. I don't have time for this. So it's not terribly uncommon. It, it just leads to, turning it more into a social network and f friends of friends. And you've yeah. been on the show. Who else would you recommend we have on the show? Right. I do that for pretty much all the podcasts. Well, if you ever do a Harry Potter episode, I can talk about that. <laughs> That's my, my pop culture. I, I believe it. I, I think probably most of us can. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. so it is, it is less a, like we did one on Korean cinema. Uh, and that was largely because some friend of mine was into that and was from Korea and had some background. That's especially where I feel like I need a guest on. I also should find people that run other podcasts. I sometimes do this. Like, uh, we're doing Walking Dead. Let me see what the Walking Dead podcasts are out there. Yeah. So I met a guy who runs a Walking Dead podcast, and he was thrilled to... Uh, we still haven't done that. In fact, that's the kind of episode that I'm not sure that we should do. Toward the end of season two, I did a, a few episodes that were like on The Expanse. And I only want to get people who have read all the books and I'm going to use this as an excuse to read all the books myself. Yep. But how many people really enjoy a spoiler filled thing about a five season show that they probably have not watched and a 12 book series that almost definitely they have not read, you know, if not more than a, a book or two. So yeah, that would be a tough one to, yeah. to go into, I think just because you're going to have like people that listen to it are, are maybe going to start the episode thinking, yes, I want to, I want to get into this series. Now they're talking about it. It looks awesome. And then by the end, like, oh, well, I know everything already. I mean, hopefully that we pick something that's broad enough. So even if we yeah. spoiled a couple little things like that, you know, which characters don't die in the first <laughs> <laughs> season or whatever, I, that's a big question for me because, you know, I mentioned my, uh, co-host for partially seven, like Wes has this 
podcast subtext. And I don't like to listen to his episodes unless I have read the book or seen the movie. And so sometimes I'll go, I'll make a point of seeing this movie so I can listen to his episode. But I don't know how people feel, uh, you know, about our things. So again, toward the end of that year, I had been watching with my wife, This Is Us, for a whole bunch of seasons. Mm -hmm. I'm like, God damn it, I'm gonna, I gotta cash that in. <laughs> I gotta have a podcast about it. So I just put up, you know, none of my normal podcast friends had had watched the whole thing or were interested. So I just put something on my Facebook, like who's who's into this. Yeah. And I got, you know, enough people latch onto that, that we were able to do a decent episode, the same thing with Downton Abbey and all three of those episodes, I sort of, sort of regret, like, I don't know that they were as, as a popular, a thing, you know, unlike Batman. Right. Right. Well, they, I mean, they're probably super popular. It's just, do you have a crossover with who's watching those and maybe who listens to podcasts or who's listening to your podcast? Hard to say. I guess. I mean, I, I do try to, you know, just avoid, sometimes people would be like, there's this sci-fi book I really like. Well, like, that's great. <laughs> do that for a sci-fi podcast. Yeah. But unless it is been made, you know, I don't want to do Dark Tower until the show comes out. I wanted to do Sandman for a long time. And finally, the show came out. So Sandman <laughs> is our next episode that's coming out. The Dark Tower books were fantastic. Yeah. And I sat through all them. So I want to, I want to cash that out. But why not wait? We did do The Last of Us as just a video game thing because I had spent the time playing it before the show came out. But I guess that, you know, where it's a, it's a very occasional video game podcast. We haven't had a video game episode since spring, I believe. Yeah. So you have these, these four podcasts, you have the partially examined life, which has tens of millions of views, pretty much pop nakedly examined music philosophy versus improv other than, you know, being on the iTunes front page at a ridiculously opportune time. Are you doing anything to to drive growth to these podcasts? What are you What are you trying to do to build the audiences? Gee, I really wish that I knew uh, what to do. You know, I don't have a lot of energy for like I I'm the social media guy. Yep. So I will post these things to Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, and I'll encourage my guests. There should almost be a contract, frankly. If I'm letting you on one of my shows, I want your guarantee that you are going to share it with your people. Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, especially if it's not something... I don't know. I had like a guy who is a host of another podcast who uh, his representative reached out to me. Mm. And in fact, I wasn't even allowed to talk to him directly. Like that will... Oh, oh, we want to have a, a scoping call. Well, here you call this number, and I'll I'll bring him into it. Oh, like as if he's such a, you know, he's not a freaking famous. You wouldn't recognize his name, but he was like yep. a radio personality in the West Coast or something. And so I had him on. We talked about podcasting versus radio. It was a good discussion. He was a great guest, but I'm sure that he did zero things to then promote us to his group of people. Right. So like, why did I bother? It was right. a fine experience talking to him, but was it, it wasn't like getting one of my musical idols or, uh, you know, a, a showbiz icon. Like when we had Yakov Shmirnov on that, like that was one of our first pretty much pop episodes. Like that was fun to just talk to Yakov Smirnov, even though, well, you could listen to that. He had some <laughs> controversial political opinions. Let me put it that way. <laughs> okay. Uh, so and and in fact, one of my my co-hosts was just like, I don't want to do these celebrity interviews anymore. This is they they do not let us 
do our thing, right? right. Uh, trying you know, to talk at a, at a high level. Yeah. In that case, that was actually one that we edited quite a bit, and then we recorded some without the guest, so we could kind of set it up, like that this is a topic and not just us asking him about what he thinks about stuff. Well, I'm sure that there are you know a ton of episodes that I can and should go and listen to on on all of these podcasts. Honestly, I haven't had a chance to listen to the Nakedly Examined Music podcast or the Philosophy Verse Improv podcast yet, but I will go check them out because I really like the Pretty Much Pop podcast and I like the Partially Examined Life podcast. Can I can I plug Philosophy Versus Improv? Yeah, absolutely. I know we didn't really get a chance to talk about that one too much. We're just started our second year of that podcast, and there was another podcast that I liked called Hello from the Magic Tavern, which introduced me to the concept of long-form improv. They just like, it's sort of a Lord of the Rings talk show, like or, or Narnia sort of, that each of them is a fantasy creature, and they all are Chicago-trained improv people, you know, like Second City, IO Theater, that kind of stuff. And so I asked some people associate with that. Hey, I would love to do something that would teach me how to be an improv improviser. I I've always wanted since I was a little kid, like I wanted to go into comedy, but then other things, you know, music, other things took that over. So I never, you know, became a stand up. but here was something like I felt like I could do, Yeah. but everybody, they've taken all these classes. It's like a whole culture that I've never been a part of. Um, maybe I can combine this with a, I was looking for a way to do philosophy in a more, less, less formal, less, no reading group, just like, let's talk about some of these ideas. So I got this fellow, Bill Arnett, who is a, a, a big wig in the IO theater, runs the Chicago improv studio. And we each come in with a little lesson that we're going to teach to each other. So originally it was just me and him talking and we've since gotten guests on. So now this is the place where if somebody sends us a philosophy book, I will have them come on as the guest philosopher and we'll talk about the thing. I won't read your book, but we'll talk about the thing that your book is about. Yep. And then in some of the other episodes, we get one of his improv friends or really I've just been open to like as big a name in show business as we can get that the name J.O. Sanders, you might not know, but you'll definitely recognize him from a bunch of things. He was the lead in our uh, partially examined life Shakespeare thing that he, you know, friend of a friend referred us to him. And so I got him to come on philosophy versus improv. And this is where I want to get more and more like actual professors that were making do wacky improv scenes with us. We're two grasshoppers and we don't know what to do with ourselves. You know what? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's less horrible than it sounds uh, by that, but you know part of the, the the joy of of it is you know the geekiness that philosophy has as a reputation and the geekiness that improv has as a reputation. Um, it's just this long form improv, what they call it's quite different than like the uh, comedy sports. Whose line is it anyway? Come up with something immediately. It's a little more character driven, like okay. acting out scenes. But I thought that that would be cool. Just like in philosophy, people talk about using the Socratic method. Like, I'm not going to just tell you, I'm going to ask you questions. Right. Well, this seemed another way to explore this. Hey, we've been talking about this philosophy topic for a while. Let's try to sort of act it out and be, you know, and it often ends up just being very silly, but that's fine. So I, I would really recommend if folks listening to this would never want to listen to an actual philosophy reading group podcast because that sounds deathly boring. Like, no, you will not be bored by philosophy versus improv. This is this is exactly at the level of the beginner, which my co-host is just like I'm a beginner in improv. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, now I'm definitely going to check it out. So thank you for explaining it. 
it is my favorite show that I do right now. It takes almost no preparation on my part. I probably could get away with not editing it at all. Uh, we we actually just recorded video for the supporters for the first time, our last episode. And I think we're going to do that going forward because like, it's just a, a totally different thing than any of the other shows. Yeah, no, that's great. Mark, what is one of the most important lessons that you've learned about podcasting since you started? I mean, I guess you you, you got to really... You got to enjoy what you're doing. <laughs> it's been a delightful surprise that I've been able to make enough money to really back off of doing my day job. I still officially have a day job, but it's not that many hours at this point. Yeah. Thanks to podcasting, I always just wanted to be a rock star and I knew that wasn't really going to happen even <laughs> at the time. It's just too hard and it's too grueling a lifestyle. Well, hey, I can get way more people listening to my stuff without ever leaving the house and get to do these things, you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm still just about as passionate about. And the, and the, the, the dynamics of a podcast group is kind of like the dynamics of a band. It's very similar experience after 13 years. Like I still really like doing it, but I don't know if I would do it as often if I, if it wasn't kind of putting the bread on the table, Yeah. but for these other podcasts, they're really just because I like doing a, you know, with this music, when I just, I get constantly these great guests pitched at me by these agents. And then, you know, I will, I will, oh, here's another musical idol of mine that now I've had some of his bandmates on the show. I better, I finally, I can make a shot at getting Robin Hitchcock on somebody I've been listening to since 1989. And, you know, so that happened. That was great. I had a guy from Devo on this year. I had Paula Cole on this year. You know, these, it's a lot of work. I try to listen to some through someone's entire catalog over a couple of weeks, yeah, which is often wow. 20 albums, something, but it gives me something to kind of focus on in terms of my listening habits. And, and there's a definite momentum to it. So yeah, it, and just connecting with these people, even if, even if the product is not doing amazingly, all, all these things I should stress were started because philosophy is such a niche thing that like, Hey, a regular pop culture podcast, a regular podcast about rock music these could be much more popular. Right. And they still have that potential. Yeah. Got to get iTunes to play along. Yes. But there's, yeah, so much competition. I just think, you know, if if I can't make one of these new podcasts really break in the way that my first podcast has, then someone considering a new podcast themselves, you should not expect success. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that doesn't mean don't do it. Like, definitely. It's a wonderful experience. It's a wonderful excuse to keep in touch with people. Um, I love these podcasts. That's like families do it. Uh, I listen to the, the, the McElroy brothers and just like a, a, an excuse for the, these guys to goof around and connect with each other. And so I have uh, our fourth co-host for the partial examined life is my brother-in-law, Dylan Casey. I would not talk to him on a weekly or daily basis. Otherwise it's, it's right. a wonderful excuse, like having an activity to do with somebody. And, uh, you know, hopefully, you just uh, are, are pick a format that you really like. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with any of that. I have so much fun just making this podcast because I get to mm -hmm. speak to people who you know have a lot of knowledge around this thing that I enjoy listening to and I enjoy doing it. So definitely, you know, if you're thinking about starting a podcast, just go for it. But uh, realistic expectations, maybe. Mark, this has been a, a ton of fun for me. I've really enjoyed this conversation and getting the chance to meet you and and talk to you about your podcasts, where can people find you? So I would say if you go to partiallyexaminedlife.com, that's sort of the master network site. 
and the other three podcasts are their episodes are, are are posted on the bottom and i hope you you know subscribe to them all individually yes so you're not just getting stuff through the pel feed which disappears very quickly the other ones but yeah there's probably something on that page between mine and the other ones in our network that uh you'll be excited about you know if you're not a philosophy geek uh, try one of the other things. I think pretty much pop is a great, a great entry point. And, and yeah, each of those of course has its own site, pretty much pop.com, nakedly examined music.com philosophy, improv.com. Awesome. Thank you again so much for coming on and speaking with me. This is, this is fantastic. Thanks, Chris. So long everybody. That was my conversation with Mark Linsenmeyer philosopher, musician, and host of multiple podcasts, including The Partially Examined Life, which can be found on all of the major podcast networks. You can also find Mark at partiallyexaminedlife.com. My name is Chris Cookley, and you can find me at whomakesapodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode, it would be an enormous help if you shared it with your friends, Pick someone you think would benefit from this and send it along. It really does make a difference. And if you host a podcast and would like to be my next guest on Who Makes a Podcast, please let me know. Go to whomakesapodcast.com slash guest and tell me about your show. This is Who Makes a Podcast. I'll be back next time with another conversation with another incredible podcast host. Thanks for listening.